The Vampire and Lycan clans had been at war for centuries before I was born. Their endless conflict hidden from the human world. I was turned by a vampire and given the strength to avenge my family against the Lycans, and I was good at it. Welcome to Now Playing Podcast's Underworld Retrospective Series. The Selene goes, trouble surely follows. Hosted by Arnie. Information is power, and I collect it. With a passion. Jacob. I know exactly what you are. And Stuart. He's too powerful for you alone. But be warned, this episode will contain detailed plot spoilers and strong language. The sun will burn you to ashes out there, or you can die with some grace in here. We hope you enjoy the show. Show me what you have. Yes, sir. Today we're discussing Underworld, Rise of the Lycans, starring Michael Sheen, Bill Nye, Rona Mitra, directed by Patrick Totopoulos. This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, and is this what you want? And it's Stuart. And this is Jacob, the master dancer of politics. Yes, you should see my anarchist cha-cha. And hey, I used a line from the movie. Does that mean this is recommendable? <laughs> Does it mean it's better? I broke away from my rote Death Dealer one. Maybe so. It certainly is different. Back at the Underworld with a prequel taking place in the 1400s. Who did Kate Beckinsale divorce this time where they didn't even invite her back? Well, she was on a different path, I think, at this point. And again, I'm not sure she was ever committed to being an action hero. It's something that every actress feels they need to put on their resume. Yes, I put on guns and did some ninja moves and worked out for six weeks and did that one movie that didn't make any money. But her movie did make money, more than her costume dramas. I think she's better known for Underworld than any Jane Austen thing. But she went back to that world and made dramas about dead kids and being a lawyer fighting for justice and... I didn't see them. I don't know if they were any good or not, but she had hung up the Lycra and let other people take over. Look alike. Whoever Rona Mitra is. I know Rona Mitra from the TV show Boston Legal, the William Shatner, James Spader show. And I remember her being on that show and being like, you know, she looks like a supermodel, but she can't act. And she does not change my mind here. <laughs> well, I watched a trailer for this one, and my wife was with me, and she's got very good face memory, and she's like, that's not Kate Beckinsale. I'm like, of course it is. If there's an Underworld movie, it's got to have Kate Beckinsale in it. It's a very pale woman with dark hair. It's Kate Beckinsale, but no, it's a totally different character. I was shocked that they would do one without her. Right. I think that is risky. That would be a reason to be nervous. If your big star is stepping away, can anyone fill in those shoes? Can anyone fill in? That black latex. But this is a prequel. It's worth pointing out that this one is not going to be vampire-focused. Rise of the Lycans, they're finally going to give werewolves their due. I think this is kind of a big deal. In pop culture, I don't think it's very often that we focus over werewolves over vampires. Vampires always get the love. 
What are the big werewolf hits? There just aren't many of them. An American werewolf in London, that's about it. Wolf with Jack Nicholson? No, not a big hit. <laughs> no, that was a flop and cost way too much money. That movie cost more than Jurassic Park. What? Ooh, I had no idea. You wouldn't think that looking at it. <laughs> yeah, isn't that the truth? Particularly those wolf effects. But again, it's just vampires are sexy and werewolves are not. They're dogs. <laughs> yeah, right. There's something too animal about them. They're too furry. I don't know. But finally, a movie is going to give the lichens their due. They've been trying since the first movie came out. I know that there were a couple prequels. Arnie, you drew the short straw. Tell us about the 2004 novel Underworld Blood Enemy. Well, it's basically this movie that we're about to talk about, only it's non-canon. It lies to you. If you're in the bookstore, you pick it up. The first chapter is Celine shooting at people in a Hungarian or Russian park. So you think you're going to be reading a Celine story. And then you're in chapter two. It's a flashback to the 1200s, where it's all about Lucian and his love for Sonia and this forbidden love and all of that. Basically, we're going to see here, only this is all apocryphal because this was written in 2004 before I think this movie was a glint in anybody's eye. It is badly written. Stuart, you talk about seeing student films all the time. As a creative writing major, I got to read a lot of student short stories, and this is on par. The way it just punches you in the face with, he looked at her with love because he loves her. That kind of <laughs> writing. It's just so painful to read. And the fact that it was apocryphal pissed me off, because then I bothered reading it, and it's not even in continuity. But it should be said, the Underworld movies did have novelizations, this is the author of those novelizations, so he at least had dove into this world before. No one would want the task of trying to hammer out the backstory, the one that doesn't have contradictions. I, too, had a short straw, perhaps not as short as yours, Arnie, because mine was a graphic novel. It wasn't a whole novel. But, guys, I got to learn all about the background to Ray's, the black lichen that we saw in the first one. And that, too, was not canon. And guess what? This movie totally contradicts it because this comic, co-written by Danny McBride, the stuntman, so you'd think he'd have some lore ready to go that would get in these movies or at least fit with these comics. But no, Raze is an East African warrior in the 14th century. And for reasons, there's werewolves and vampires and his tribe is like caught in the middle of it. And by the end, Lucian bites him and turns him into a lichen which totally contradicts everything. Like, they just threw all that out. This is a whole new story that we'll see with Ray's in Underworld 3. Yeah, it sounds like they were rushing a lot of products out. 2004, that was when the video game came out, too. And it sounds like, oh, we have a hit. We need to just create a universe. And it sounds like they gave lesser people the task of trying to hammer out what the story should be. I will just go ahead and put it out there. I mentioned that I knew screenwriters that were working with the then-director, Lynn Wiseman, he was asking them to come up with this script. The third movie had never been worked out. The backstory had not been worked out. They spent some time with it, and they did not go with their version. And what's funny is the author of the book I read, Greg Cox, he thanked McBride in the book for allowing him to pick his brain. So I think the reason there may be a lot of similarities between these movies, is McBride did think some of this stuff out to assist the novelist. 
Yeah, again, it should be said, we know this story. It was in the first movie in really rapid-fire flashbacks. We know that there was this forbidden love between a werewolf and a vampire, and that out of that came a war. So it just wasn't ever very clear. The second movie only muddied the water. So now, because we don't have Kate Beckinsale, because Michael Sheen doesn't have to be on set with the man that took her away from him, we can now really tell that story properly. That would be the hope. And the person they got directing now is the guy that was responsible for the werewolf effects and some of the production design. He had also come up with some of the creature stuff in Independence Day. Yeah, I was really worried when I looked up at this director before I sat down because this is the only film he has ever directed. Nothing before, nothing after. And he did those visual effects on Spawn, that 90s movie. Oh boy, that cape. Oh, (laughs) you know, there's probably a lot of people who worked on it. Maybe he didn't do the hell, but if he did the clown effects, those were good. I have never seen that film. That's maybe the one comic book movie I have not seen, but I guess it's not Marvel or DC, so I'm spared. They'll reboot it at some point. (laughs) They keep threatening a reboot is why we wait. Yeah, I know that this is only a temporary stay of execution. I'll have to see it at some point. But yeah, going with the special effects guy sends a signal that maybe we just want to do something on the cheap. That's kind of what it feels like. The people that were involved, Lynn Wiseman, director, writer, he's not here anymore. Kate Beckinsale is gone. They said the reason Wiseman didn't come back is he was off doing Live Free or Die Hard, and he was exhausted from that. Personally, I think he had just been like, I'm now a real director. I no longer have to do these movies. Sure outsource it. But you mentioned that the first film was done by art directors and people stretching to become writers and directors, so why not continue the trend of giving a different movie artisan a shot at the director's chair? I am not believing that because the original people aren't here, it's not going to be as good. I think there's lots of opportunity to improve what we've had, including the last movie, which I felt like was almost an enjoyable B-movie. Yeah, I mean, I put this on, it's around 90 minutes, they're already off to a good start. That tells me, hopefully we're not going to get so many walls of dialogue of exposition going on. Yeah, let's see what these creative forces do, these new ones, see if they can fix what was not working. Arnie, give them the plot, and we'll find out how the lichens rise. In the early 1400s, vampire elder Victor, played by Bill Nighy, discovered the first lichen capable of returning to human form. That first shapeshifter was Lucian, played by Michael Sheen. Victor took Lucian as a servant and forced him to spread his werewolfism among Victor's servants, creating a subservient line of lichens. When Lucian starts to sleep with Victor's daughter, Sonia, played by Rona Mitra, Lucian is put in a cell. He leads an uprising against the vampires, and then Sonia rescues Lucian, and the two plan to run away together. But Victor finds out Sonia helped Lucian, and that Sonia is pregnant with a half-vampire, half-lichen baby. Victor puts Lucian back in prison and executes Sonia. Lucian wolves out and calls to the non-shapeshifting werewolves in the forest. These wolves storm the castle, Victor and Lucian fight, and Lucian nearly kills the vampire elder, but both Lucian and Victor survive, which we knew they would because they were in the first film. A war has now begun between the vampires and the lichens that will last for hundreds of years as credits roll. 
I mean, a war had already begun. Like, they say that we get more voiceover. And here's the thing. I just complimented this film. It's only 90 minutes. That's great. Let's keep them short. But I feel like there's so much exposition in these films. They're very dense if you're trying to understand and write down everything. It's like a three-hour film packed into 90 minutes. Because now... I always thought lichens were werewolves, but werewolves are people that get bit and turn into wolves. They can't turn back, but lichens can turn back and forth. Okay, so for the most part, I'm just going to start with the compliments. I think that this is the most clearly understood storyline and backstory we've been given. Because we saw the flashback already. Well, no, but I think that we understand what happens better in this one than we did in the previous two movies. Agreed. And Jacob, there wasn't a flashback scene in that first movie until the 4K release. So you may have seen the updated version that took footage from this movie and created a flashback. Oh, okay. Yeah, I did watch the unrated version, so it had extra scenes. Yeah, but there is voiceover just here in the beginning by a sound-alike of Kate Beckinsale. We'll find out that this is Sonya. They tell us that it's two decades beyond the creation of vampires and lichens, which, remember, was two kids from a magical human being that got bit, one by a wolf, one by a bat, and the war is already on. They say the war is already started. That is in deep contrast to what was said before yes. about <laughs> Lucian's love for Sonya causing the rift that caused the war. But this is a war between vampires and werewolves, not vampires and lichens. That's a different war. Maybe you're right. Maybe that is the distinction. We will see in this prologue that Victor has walked into a cell where they're keeping werewolves that look like him to me, and one has given birth to a human-looking baby, and he just can't put an arrow through it. So he's going to raise it as the first lichen, the first of a breed. That is all kinds of weird to me. I would have thought maybe somebody bitten wouldn't transform, but that two wolves made it and gave birth to a human-looking baby... <laughs> is awfully strange. I, uh, you know, whatever. And why Victor was keeping it down in the crypt. No reasons given. <laughs> yeah. The point is, he's got a soft spot, that Bill Nighy. And so he treats him like a son. And the next thing we know, he's a teenager doing martial arts moves. And we see teenage Sonia trying to pretend like she doesn't care about him, but giving him a little smirk. And we can see the relationship blooming. And did it come back to you right away, like, who Sonya was? Like, at first, I'm like, okay, Sonya, that's Victor's daughter. And then, yeah, when she's checking out Lucian here, I'm like, it all clicked. I'm like, oh, this is going to be the story of them hooking up and almost having a baby, and Victor's got to kill his own daughter. Okay, they're just doing that story. What is the surprise going to be? Having just read the damn book, I was like, oh, we're telling this story. <laughs> well, this is finally, can we just compliment the fact that they claim that first movie was Romeo and Juliet? But this one actually is two houses that don't get along in a forbidden love. This one is the most romantic of the three. Yeah, most romantic. Underworld's got a hard time being romantic. But I did call out, like, later on, they're going to say, oh, how can there be these two great races of beasts or whatever, but yet one is enslaved? I'm like, okay, this does feel very Shakespearean, where one house is being kept down by the other or something. Everything they told me that first Underworld was, this one feels more like it's hitting those notes. And I like that we're seeing this from the werewolf point of view. Maybe it's just me, but I find the aristocratic vampires hella boring. 
I think that the fact that we focused on these vampires and their elders so much in those first two films is a lot of what kept me from having any enjoyment for it. But now we're seeing this from the point of view of Lucian, who is the first of his kind. If that had been stated, it kind of rolled off of me. It's being driven home here. And I find that I have more empathy for him than I do the vampires. Yeah, the problem is we've had a protagonist who is a vampire, which automatically tells me, oh, we're supposed to root for the vampires. But those first two films keep telling us how awful the vampires are. And it doesn't seem like the Lycans are any better. They're always killing them anyway. And I feel like we're supposed to be rooting for that. This one, I feel like, okay, they finally figured out who the good guys are on this war. It is the Lycans, and they're going to play that up and show us the vampires just being evil. I mean, not only are they going to have this forbidden love, but they're in chains, literally. And this is where it gets complicated. All right. There was William, and William could never turn back human, and they ended up creating those medallion keys to lock him up somewhere. But he ran around and bit a bunch of peasants. And so now. There are werewolves that aren't lichen? Correct. And they're living in the trees. Yeah, because they cannot leave wolf form, just like William, which we saw in part two. Right. And then, because Victor is keeping Lucian as a pet, Lucian has to feed on blood, he's going around biting on the human slaves, and they are becoming lichen, and the only thing that they know what to do with them is to put them up at the top of the castle and fire crossbows. They become an army. Correct. I think what they call out, that they're going to use the lichens as slaves because the vampires are being paid off. They're being given protection money by regular humans to protect them from werewolves. And so they're using the lichens to help them, to guard them during the day because they can't go out during the day. Right. Vampires have castles that need protection. 24-7, and if you're sleeping in your coffin at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you need a lichen out there with a crossbow. Now, there are also human beings yes. that they're keeping in here. And to make this more confusing, the big industry here is silver mining. And they like silver because that's what they use to control both werewolves and lichen, and you can't have a lichen mining for silver. So they need the human beings to do that. Yeah, I get confused because they keep saying, oh, the nobles are coming. Like, I thought, oh, are the vampires subservient to a bunch of rich humans? But no, I don't think that's the case. The humans are working for them, but don't know they're vampires till the end of this film. Yeah, it's a little bit strange. The humans feel extraneous in the story, but what we're to take is that Victor and the vampires had human servants beforehand, forced Lucian to bite them. And then now, are all of the servants werewolves, or are just some of them werewolves? I'm not quite sure. I don't think he forced them. I think the werewolf has to drink blood. Yeah, they get hungry. Yeah, they throw like a lion's den kind of thing. Like, if you're going to keep him in the arena, you got to throw him some blood. And that's how he survived. When we cut to the end of this prologue, he looks like Michael Sheen. Did Michael Sheen always have giant eyeballs? Yes. He looks like an anime character in this. Oh, just wait till we get to Twilight. Poor Michael Sheen is obviously worked out for this part, obviously is dedicated to this part. God bless him. He's the best thing about this movie. Yep. But he just <laughs> does not have the body. He doesn't have the presence to be Mel Gibson, Arnold Schwarzenegger. What they need him to be here, he is so woefully miscast. 
Arnold Schwarzenegger would be bad, but I thought Mel Gibson so many times in this movie. Well, the speeches. Yeah, I mean, every speech is about freedom. I mean, he gives the Braveheart speech. But he's also flayed in this, like Passion of the Christ or Braveheart. Yeah, Mel Gibson definitely has a martyr complex that he works into a lot of his hero characters. And this one, yes. What we're told is that Lucian is living high on the hog. That he, as the leader of the centuries that guard the palace, is supposedly being indulged. And he's the pet and treated like a son. But it still looks like he lives in a jail cell to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm just missing something here. You know, it's kind of like, if you're the head of the servants, you can think that is a good position to be. You'd read about the slaves who thought they were better than other slaves during slave time in America. I think it's that kind of a situation where he's basically gaslit into thinking he has it good. Yeah, he's obviously not one of the vampires, but better off than the wolf in a tree. And he has the freedom to slip off and bang Sonya. We will find out pretty quickly that nobody knows that at night, even though she comes into the picture riding in on horseback, from moonlit, dangerous walks out in the forest, just for fun, just to disobey her father. She comes in with the werewolves trying to rip her up, and she pretends not to care that Lucian saved her. But when no one's looking, they get it on. Oh, what a sex scene this is. (laughs) It is the most credible love scene we've had in the three movies. I finally understand how this could be compared to Wuthering Heights, (laughs) or Romeo and Juliet, because they have actors that are willing to try and inhabit this love story in a way that Beckinsale and Speedman never even bothered. Yeah, by by most credible love scene, you're talking about Lucian hanging halfway off of a waterfall or a cliff or something as he orgasms. (laughs) Yeah, the nasty plunge, yes. The gangsta lean. Oh, boy. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's funny, but again, I understand what this is now. This feels like the movie I thought it was always going to be when you say Romeo and Juliet with werewolves and vampires. I agree with you, Stuart, in that, okay, I get the chemistry between these two. Like, Michael, who gives a fuck about Michael? Like, I'm so glad he's gone. And Kate Beckinsale and Celine never did anything either. Like, these two, I don't know if Sonya does much, but Michael Sheen's giving it his all, so I buy into it a bit more. Agreed. And they are spotted. It's worth saying there's another callback from the second movie. That historian that got banished for whatever reason is working for the Vampire Council. And he knows this is going on. He sees them sneaking off. This is information he's putting in his pocket to use at a later date. Yeah, I heard Tannis. I'm like, oh, I know who that is. And I thought because he saw them making love or she was coming out of his little hut and he didn't say anything to Victor. I'm like, oh, that's the reason he's going to get banished. But that doesn't seem to be the case. Well, I mean, again, when you are in the court, we will find out that there's a whole vampire council. Knowledge is power. He can use that to his advantage. He can exploit that when he needs to. You don't show all your cards when you're working lowly as it is. And Victor has a problem. We will find out that the other two elders are asleep and Bill Nighy is back because I guess he has more screen presence than Amelia or Marcus. (laughs) I thought you were going to say because he has bills to pay. Well, no, but I mean, I think that if it were Amelia, we wouldn't care as much, right? Bill Nighy brings something to this series. He's got whatever passes for star power. There is something about his facial expressions throughout this, and 
maybe it's because he's wearing these weird, probably hard contacts that are irritating his eyes, but like, that dude never blinks. <laughs> I don't know. There is something fun about his performance. Agreed. It is very hammy in a way that, again, I, I enjoy the commitment. I wouldn't expect an actor to go for it the way that they do here with this kind of junk, but the movie's better for it. It's funnier Brown Arrow for it. As he's got it, you know, basically he's getting a lot of flack for the fact that, yeah, there are those werewolves. They are disrupting the silver mining. The people that are bringing him the silver, there's not as many as there used to be. And he has to get all Darth Vader and throw them around. And his daughter is, here's the part that gets confusing. At some point, she's going to become an elder. I don't know how you grow into a part when you're immortal, but the expectation there might be four. I'm guessing he knows at some point he'll be killed or something. Mm, I guess that's cynically, that could be what he's implying. You'll take my spot. But I'm also confused because didn't we see in the previous movie the first vampire and the first werewolf were bitten in like the 1200s? I didn't even try to keep track of the date. Maybe. And so he's an elder by being 200 years old. Do you just have to survive to 200 and then you become an elder and you just add to the rotation? We have three elders right now, but we could have six elders. No, no, no. It's only 20 years into this. Yeah, it's only two decades since he became a vampire. He may have only become one a few years earlier. What I don't understand, Sonya is a vampire by this point because we see her as a kid and I thought Victor was a vampire when she was a kid because it's that fits within the 20 years, I think. Yeah, she was born a vampire. Okay, so she's allowed to grow up. And we did not meet the baby mama. Yes. We don't know who laid down with Bill Nighy looking like that, but fun for them. Yeah, because she's a death dealer, but has a seat on the council too, which she'll someday run maybe. But the problem is, help me out with this. I just feel like this is just a trope of fairy tales. It's like she won't mind her father and she just keeps running off to, I don't know, it seems like a good thing. The human beings are right. They're supposed to be coming there in a carriage. They get ambushed by werewolves. She's the only one showing up for them, trying to fight them off. Yeah, because she's supposed to be sitting on that council at the time, and instead she goes off. I Don't make her a death dealer if you don't want her doing death dealer stuff. I don't think she is supposed to be a death dealer. They call her out as being one. She is definitely one. I agree. Yeah, she rides in. We get some kind of violence here. This is how I know it's an R-rated movie. There's throat slit. There's beheadings. There's... It's an action scene. I'll just go ahead and say that it is neither good nor bad. I don't feel like it's as enjoyable as the prologue in the second movie, or certainly that winged attack on the truck, but it's some kind of grabber here. And then Lucian goes and spoils it all by taking off his collar and showing his full liking self. I'm kind of enjoying this action scene. Say what you will about this film. It feels less talky than the others. Yeah. It's still plenty talky. But it is less talky, more action. We're about a half an hour into it. We saw that Lucian had this key that he was going to use to run away with Sonya, but now he uses it to protect Sonya's life. Well, yeah, this key... Okay, so he has a collar with spikes turned inward on it, so I guess if he wolves out, those spikes will impale his throat, but... It's silver. It is silver, okay. I had to watch this closely, but yeah. You'll notice when they come back to him, they shoot him with silver arrows. That's why silver is so valuable here. This is the way they keep wolves, and particularly Lucian, 
in control. I guess I didn't realize till much later that they were using silver for everything, so I'm like, oh, arrows just stop them now? They say in the commentary they wish they'd put some dialogue in there to explain the collar better. Would have been helpful. <laughs> or just a close-up. But, yes, it is a silver collar, and if he turns into a werewolf, it's gonna prevent him from doing much because the silver poisons him. But during this attack on the carriage, we will see that they were bringing human slaves to the vampire castle. They all had bags on their heads, but after the attack, we see them come off, and one of them is a very recognizable face. Maybe the <laughs> standout <laughs> werewolf from the original, Ray's, is here. He's back. He took the second movie off, but he's here now. Yeah, undoing everything from that comic, not taking place in Africa at all. <laughs> Yeah, but I get that it was different. Again, keep in mind, they were just fishing for storylines. This was a possibility, a multiverse of what are we doing with this quote-unquote franchise. My question to you is, did you grow to like him in that comic book? Was there anything about his personality? Because I get that, like, big, bald, he's imposing, but I don't see any kind of wit. I don't get any kind of, you know, even Arnold has one-liners. He doesn't have much personality. It's so Mary Sue in that comic. He's just this great warrior that even as a human could kill a lion with his hands. I love this character for just his look at his voice, you know? Well, yeah, that's all you could love him for. Yeah, he's got a great voice. I wish he was a better partner with Lucian. Like, I wish I liked that team up more when they're hanging out later. I wish he could act more. <laughs> yeah, I read his bio and apparently he's like a biochemist or something like that that just decided on a whim to get into acting and became a stuntman. So a roundabout way of winding up the big supporting character of a third Underworld movie. But I wish I could like him. I feel like the movie is asking us, this is as close as we get to a cheer moment, seeing that this is his origin story. Because none of us are Underworld fans, like, was this a big cheer moment? Let us know, listeners, if you love these Underworld films, when you got to this reveal in part three, you'll be like, yes, he's back, Ray's. I was like, hey, it's him. You know, I, did I cheer? Yeah, that was my reaction. Oh, I've seen him before. <laughs> <laughs> cheer or yeah, it's him. That feels like a very big difference. <laughs> like, yeah. Put that as a poll quote. There's so many yeah, that's him moments in this film. <laughs> this movie has people in it I've seen before now playing. <laughs> people from other underworld films appear in this one. You'll love it. <laughs> And Artie is a big one to, like, if there is a character actor that he loves that can carry him far into fandom. But, again, all I ask is, has this man done anything to charm you? I don't see it in this movie or in the previous one. But I'm liking this action also because we are in medieval times and we're seeing crossbows and things. And normally I'm not for this type of castle siege sort of action. But this makes so much more sense to me than bullets ever did. All that gunfire matrix bullshit in those first two movies tested my patience. Here, they're using weapons that can actually harm their enemies and things. This is more what I want in a werewolf-vampire battle. And so I'm enjoying the scene with the wolves. Yeah, unless you're Neo, like, doing cool slow-motion backflips as you shoot a machine gun. That got real boring in Underworld, just all the gunfire. I agree with you, Arnie, the fact that they got crossbows and swords. It's just better weapons. They're not more advanced, but it's visually more fun to watch them use them. Agreed with that, and I also just want to point out, trends have changed by this point. This movie is coming out in 2009, 10 years beyond The Matrix. There had been the sequels, just 
wasn't as trendy to put on trench coats, Lord of the Rings had happened. And they did shoot this movie in New Zealand, and it does feel that they're chasing a new master here. Mm-hmm. Like they want Tolkien to be the godfather of all of this, not Matrix. Yeah, there's some cool designs, like with the vampire fortress or whatever that is built into the side of a mountain. It feels like Gondor, the big village built into the side of the mountain in that last film. Yeah, I could see those comparisons. And I just want to point out, this movie is pretty minimal budget. I mean, $35 million for a big Tolkien epic, <laughs> that might get you one scene. One big scene in Return of the King cost the budget of this entire film. They are lucky to have a production designer, a special effects designer as the director for this. I think that he is finding a way to squeeze the pennies and get the most out of this. This movie has a look. Just as the first two did, this movie is able to pull off a more expensive look on the cheap. 100% agree. I still think they need to turn on the lights, not have everything be gray. Maybe I need to recalibrate my TV. It's just so dark at times. (laughs) But... My wife's like, oh, this looks really good. I'm like, yeah, especially since I doubt they had any money for it. Like, there's some dodgy CGI at times, but, and oh, at the end, when they do some day for night stuff, it's really (laughs) bad. But for the most part, I'm like, yeah, they got sets. They're going for a period piece. That's never cheap when you got to recreate, like, dungeons and all that. Again, I don't know if this is praise, but I'm like, hey, you guys impressed me with your low budget. You made it look not so low budget. I definitely think that there's improvement. The thing that got me is that... When I watched the behind the scenes, they did use CGI for some of the wide shots of the werewolves, but some of this is people in wolf costumes. (laughs) Yeah, I could tell. (laughs) And it actually looked pretty good. Yeah, again, that's really something to focus on. Anybody can be a vampire. You go, you pop in some fangs, there it is. But certainly when you mention American Werewolf in London, having that kind of physical transformation costs. And they've found a balance where it kind of looks cheesy. You can see the seams. They do what they can by turning down the lights. It's low-budget effects that clearly are effects, but it still has a coolness. And that's hard to do. If you're going to make a movie that's entirely about the lichens, you got to have more lichen scenes than we've had. And when I see this werewolf attack in the forest, when we get the later running across the fields, they pull it off. And that's in part because they have a director who knows how to stretch a dime. Yeah, I'm suitably impressed with this battle, more impressed than I have been with anything in the previous two films. Yeah, and I'm going to keep going on that train and saying it's also true of the romance. I feel like when we get back to the castle and Lucian has to be whipped and Sonia is crying for him and can't get him off from all of this, It doesn't feel like Romeo and Juliet. It feels like a Harlequin romance novel version of Romeo and Juliet. Like someone wanted to make a trashy melodrama, and that's kind of how it plays. There's chemistry there. It's just not believable. You know, it's just poor Michael Sheen (laughs) just is doing most of the heavy lifting. Yeah, I feel like he may not be the Mel Gibson you want in your action film, but I do feel like he's the one doing all the heavy lifting here. Like he's the one pulling me through this film. Agreed. His screaming, his speeches, they are all competent. He gets away with this shit. While shirtless, with everyone else taking way more steroids and working out much, much more than he does, he still feels like he fits here. Yeah, he ain't great, but he'll do. Another pull quote for the poster. Michael Sheen, not great, but he'll do. (laughs) 
There he is, and he'll do. <laughs> so, yeah, what we have here is basically a prison riot. Lucian's punishment is that whatever plush accommodations he had, he's now being thrown back in the dungeon with the humans. He is saying to them, I will give you the opportunity of immortality. And I think at this point, Ray's is still a human being. I don't know that we ever see that moment where Ray says, bite me. I want to do what you do. No, they take him to another lichen and he gets attacked. It's not Sheen that does that. In the jail cell, right? No, they take him out into some other hall or something to do it. And then they throw him back in and he exchanges looks with Lucian. All I know is at one point at the end, Ray's is running up the stairs and just wolfs out. And I'm like, wow, I didn't know that that had happened. Yeah, there's a scene. They don't show him get bit, but it's heavily implied. Like, I figured, okay, he got bit. He's a lichen now. Yeah, I'm not quite sure when that happens. I do like the little bit of incel bonding that he does with Michael Sheen. And the jailbreak, man, do I love those giant harpoon guns. <laughs> they shoot so many of them that people can't figure out how to get past them. That's what I love. Yeah. Yes, a few people get harpooned, but other ones are just too stupid to do the limbo. <laughs> and they're like, we can't go any further. So only some people get out the window. It's like reverse Jenga. Yes. I do love the shot. Like one of those arrows goes through a guy's cheek. I'm like, okay, this is our rated. But yeah, all those guys get stuck. Here's my question, though. These lichens, because got to figure out this lore, guys. In that first film, we're told that just recently, like in 20, whenever that film came out, they no longer needed the moon to change back and forth. Do these lichens still need the moon? Because there's scenes where Lucian's looking up and I got to see that moon. Why wouldn't all these trapped lichens just change and like break those arrows and get away? Okay, so let's <laughs> parse this out. The lichens are the people firing the harpoons. They're the sentries that guard the vampire palace. Wait, Lucian's not freeing lichens too? Yeah, I think he is. Uh, no. He is freeing the human slaves <laughs> who he's giving the opportunity to be lichens later. I thought he was freeing a mixture. Because the whole ending of this is werewolves teaming up with lichens. I figured these were all the lichens he was helping escape. There are human beings teaming up with the werewolves and then all deciding to be following the lichen. Okay, I will just let it go. I know, but yeah, to be clear, because the whole deal is made about earlier when Lucian had to kill one of the werewolves that was chasing Ronamitra. They were asking, like, how does it feel to kill your own kind? He's like, these are beasts. These are not like me. And so everyone that has a harpoon is his bloodline, the pure bloodline of Lycan. I get that early on, but I thought they were turning more and more to have more slaves and just keeping them all gelled up because they say, oh, maybe we can make some more loyal to us by giving them nicer quarters, but most of them are going to be kept down in that cell. So I just assumed all lichens and he was trying to free them. Why else would you run off with this guy who's a lichen then and is going to probably eat you? And they show scenes of some of these prisoners being fed to lichens. I mean, not just at the beginning. They show it with this group that they captured with rays. And so I thought some of them were werewolves and some of them were just servants, but this movie's unclear. I'm so upset. I thought I understood this movie so much better than the other ones, but now here I am. All I can tell you is lichens are firing on the escapees and they don't change into the big things because A, budget, and B, they have silver suits of armor and what have you the silver prevents them see this is what confuses they all have collars on like they're passing that key around later to get all the collars off well i mean the collar works on a human being too if you're chained up you can't go anywhere so again 
there needed to be a big moment where the human being said, we want to be you. And I don't see that in this movie, and it would have been really helpful to have that scene. No, because the vampires do turn on the humans. They want more tribute, want more money. And my takeaway was that they fed on all of them and just turned them once they figured out that the vampires were vampires. Because humans can't know that. At least that's what I see in the future with parts one and two. Humans don't know about this war. I don't know. But the point is that Lucian leads some of them away. Rays and some other people jump out a window run off into the woods, and then this is really the moment where they're trying to rally, again, other, I think, human beings. Again, I thought that what I heard them say was Ray's was going to go around and get some of these disgruntled humans that are tired of paying the silver tax to come fight the big battle at the end, and then Lucian goes into a cave to talk to the feral werewolves. Yeah, he's going to go howl to the werewolves so they could team up, Which makes sense if they're all lichens. Wow, so it was going to be humans running into battle with werewolves. I think we see that. They're not as fast, but they're the people at the end. When we have the big battle scene, the wolves go first, and they're getting speared, and then the humans come. We see a bunch changing into lichens. That's where I get confused. Again, I think that's an important moment. We have so many scenes of Michael Sheen saying freedom and this and that and what have you. We needed to have a ritual where they all took the werewolf bite. We just needed that. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely needed that in this. You know what, though? The lack of clarity in this doesn't hurt it for me. It really doesn't. No, it just hurts it now that I have to talk about it when I was watching this. I thought I totally understood it. I'm like, yeah, this is all very capable. Like, it's working more or less. And compared to the bent, burnt pretzels we were offered the first time, this is much more clear and straightforward. Even with these complications and contradictions, this movie makes a whole lot more sense than what we were told in the first two movies. But back to Romeo and Juliet. Again, you'll remember that ended badly for both of them. Here, we're going to find out that Victor, basically, by biting into her neck, finds out that Sonia was enabling and aiding Lucian, and basically sends another vampire woman to go bring him back into their trap. He's going to say, you need a rescuer so that I can then capture you in some kind of underground firebombing siege. Who was that woman? Like, you know, Lucian's like, oh, finally Sonia's arrived. I'm like, it's not Sonia. You know that. It's just some other woman. I don't know if he'd seen her earlier in the film. Her name is Luca. She lives on the second floor. (laughs) I don't know anything else about her. That's it. He got excited because he was like, Sonia really should be here now. Oh, here she comes. Nope. Sonia is being tortured. Lucian runs back. And Sonia says something interesting here. I don't know what to believe. Now, she has a lot of back and forth with her father where she claims, oh, he's a lichen and and I love him and yet I don't respect him. I can't tell where she, her real allegiances lie. Yeah, I thought she was trying to cover up and lie to her dad to try to get away. Mm -hmm. Right. When you think about Romeo and Juliet, they would have put everything below their love. But when he shows up in her room and she says, you came back and gave up your freedom for me, that seemed like a legit surprise. She wasn't expecting him to rescue her and that this might be the moment that they truly, fully commit. Yeah, look, is it a better relationship than we've seen in the previous two? Yes. Is it good? No. I still have a lot of questions why they love each other, what they mean to each other. Yeah, so there's still scenes like this that are confusing. Sure. But God bless these actors for trying. Again, all I'm saying is, Scott Speedman and Kate Beckinsale could barely stand to look at each other. 
And these two are trying to do it. Particularly Sheen, who I think is a good actor, has proven that in other movies. And then this, yeah, Rona Mitra, who's not great, but she's not too embarrassed not to try. She's not good. I actually prefer Celine to Sonia. Yeah, if we could mix and match, if we could have Kate here with Michael Sheen, keep in mind they were a real-life couple. I bet they did have chemistry at one point. (laughs) Not sure what it would be at this point. That would have been a lot of fun. But no, we're not going to get that movie. And they could have done that too. I want to point out that we're told later that we're supposed to think that the reason why Victor turned Celine later was that she was this waxwork of his actual daughter. They could have just had Kate Beckinsale play this role. If she said she wanted it, I'm sure they would have cast her in it. They didn't have to go with a new actress just because it's a different character. But yet they couldn't have found a better clone, could they? These two do look so alike. Yeah, they got an actress that looks exactly alike. So I think you're right, Stuart. If they could have got Beckinsale, they would have. But oh my God, all I got to say is, all right, so of course the lovers get caught in a trap and all of this. And Bill Nighy, maybe you want him back for the facial expressions, for the amusing shots of him drinking blood from martini glasses, (laughs) but the karate and the like cutting to the stunt doubling. Oh my Lord. Yeah, it's not good. That's so sad. So sad that he has to be the action hero and get the upper hand on his daughter. And when he puts his hand on her baby bump, that's when he knows she's created an abomination and must die for it. We already knew this part. This had been spoiled by both movies. Really drove home that he murdered his own daughter. Votes with the council that she will be strung up in sunlight and burn while Wolfman watches. This is not a bad scene, either in effects or in acting. I like the fact that they're whipping Lucian again. You know, those whips are brutal. The way they show his hamburger meat back. Yeah. And that she is going to be burned alive there in front of him. It's effective. I'm just shocked that there's so much time after this because I'm like, okay, they're just fleshing out that backstory they gave us in part one. Here's the end of it. He's going to cry and run off. But no, they're going to try to surprise us, try to... I don't know why they're going to try to have him fight Victor and kill him when we know he shows back up. Well, yeah, you can't unknow what you've seen in the previous movies, but... The point is that if this was the thing that caused the war, he tries to go over the wall. They harpoon him with the silver. He turns back into Michael Sheen and out of the big stop motion wolf puppet. And his howls are what bring everyone running. This is the signal for this climactic war. The most action we'll get is rays and everybody running in. Feral werewolf, lichen, human. They all want the same thing, overthrowing these vampires. Yeah, and I do, again, I think I said this earlier, but I feel like they got the formula right this time, where the werewolves are the good guys. I never saw a reason to cheer for the vampires and just assumed we got to go along with them because Kate Beckinsale was a vampire, but now the werewolves are the better tribe. They're the ones that are cool with being free, and then werewolves and lichens are hanging out together. Like, those vampires are real jerks. Yeah, I found it. There's people I can cheer for here. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we get a battle. Most of it is competent, not great. Lucian will get his one-on-one with Bill Nighy down, hanging on some chains or something like this. I'm not really sure the staging of this, but at some point, it's decided that the elders need to be moved to a boat. And I think he's trying to get away with the historian. And Lucian brings down the cobblestone walls and sunlight singes the guy 
before he falls into the water. We know he can't kill him, but he certainly at least hurts him really bad when he drives that sword. He stabs him through the face. Yeah, that sword (laughs) through the mouth sends a message. It's kind of sucky, though, that he doesn't finish killing him. He has him stabbed through the mouth. He could just finish him off there, behead him, something. Maybe Lucian's just really dumb and doesn't realize that's not a dead vampire, but... What they really needed to do, again, if you think of Mel Gibson Braveheart, is you martyr him. The point is, William Wallace died, but he inspired this whole movement. You really do need to kill Michael Sheen here, but we already know that Michael Sheen, quote-unquote, died because of Craven hundreds of years later. They're hobbled by their own stupid first movie that didn't know what it was doing. Having to be loyal to that thing that people inexplicably like is the reason why we can't have this feel more dramatic and have a more final face-off than, oh, I just stabbed you in the mouth and you got away. The way it feels now, Lucian feels like the head of this gang and he'll never step away. It feels like they're all wanting him to lead them. We'll know at some point he was presumed dead. But no, it's not finished. It's just the beginning. Camera cranes up past the lichens in the castle wall. Back to present day. We see Celine. I couldn't believe they did this. Yeah, on the wet balcony, just reminding us that she's a part of this movie and maybe we'll be in the sequel. Do we want her? Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Underworld Rise of the Lichens? Jacob. All right, so I got like a lot of backhanded compliments from this film. Like, if this was in the video game series, like top five, probably <laughs> not bad. And if that dude who liked resin dragons wrapped around crystal balls that told me I needed to see that first underworld because it's so great. If this was that first one, I would have gone, huh? Okay, I get it why you nerds like this. Not my thing, but at least I get it. I get the Shakespeare. I get the romance, the coolness with the werewolves and vampires this helped me understand why people might like this franchise more than the previous two and that's probably a problem when it's a prequel flashback movie of a story we already know but it is the best of the three so far like talking (laughs) it through a whole lot of stuff i still don't understand about the lore but the movie you get through it fine it is a fantasy action romance that is fine put that on the poster it's fine But would I recommend it? Look, this isn't my thing. I still don't really care about these characters. Sure, Michael Sheen does better than anyone else has so far in this franchise. I like Bill Nighy voguing for the camera at times with his facial expressions. There are little things there, but I don't care about this war. I don't ultimately care about vampires falling in love with werewolves. They haven't got me to cross that emotional barrier yet. And I feel like for me to really enjoy a film, I got to feel some tie to it. Like the fact that this is fine and not as bad as one and two, I don't know if that's really a recommend. And so no, this is a week not recommend. It's the best of the three. (laughs) If you want to understand the phenomenon, watch this one. Don't watch the other two, but you don't need to see it. Stuart. Yeah, my thoughts are very similar, Jacob. I already explained that first movie to me was just not my dessert. And now it feels like this one even more, like they've changed it to dark chocolate. By going medieval and all of this, I'm like, oh, this is not the direction I want to go. It's already this decadent vampire flavor that I can barely choke down. Now you got dog hair in it. (laughs) Right. It's even less my thing, but I feel like by going after the Tolkien thing, I get why someone would like this. I agree. Teutopolis has created the most successful entry in the saga. 
It's not my fantasy. It's not my fetish. But someone is going to just go, yeah, baby, when they see this. <laughs> the chainmail, the wolves, all of this. It's a look, right? It's a look that we've seen human beings put on. And I can understand why someone would say this is my jam. I see Romeo and Juliet in it. I see why pairing a romance novel with all this Lord of the Rings shit would really be intoxicating to someone. Whereas the other two just kind of look like Matrix clones that didn't have their own distinctive flavor. This one feels distinctive. And on a limited budget, they work with what they got and have something that looks pretty cool. I really wanted to just go ahead and say that means Green Arrow. I really did want to just say, you know what? For this series, recommend. But I just, every time I started to go there, I just... I get the struggle. I get it. <laughs> I choked. I choked. I was like, I, I can't. You know what? If you're not liking the movie, you can't give a Green Arrow to Rise of the Lycans. I didn't like this. Did you do a Lycan pun? Someone wasn't liking it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm going to keep doing that because it's just fun. I wish this were Brown Arrow, is the truth of the matter. In the end, it's still too stodgy and bleak and dark chocolate for me to really go, this is fun. Wait, so you want to eat actual shit? You know what? I feel like it would be fun to watch them really camp it up. I do feel like we're close. I feel like the next one might do it each time we get closer to that line. But I can't do it. I can't say Green Arrow, even though I probably should. It's going to be maybe the highlight of the whole franchise, I feel. <laughs> but that's a mild not recommend. God damn you guys for stealing my recommend thoughts. I'm like, you know, this one's not bad. Do I recommend not bad? I mean... In this franchise, not bad might be pretty damn good. We really should, right? I think we're all saying that if you're going to do it, this is the one to start with and to do first. I can't believe how much better this one is than the ones we've seen so far. And so for me, I'm like, you know, I didn't hate watching it. <laughs> is that recommend? You didn't like watching it. Again, I use that word very specifically. If you didn't like it, it's hard to say recommend, right? Not disliking something is not the same thing as recommending it. Yeah, that's where I'm at is I just, I feel like you used the term pity recommend, <laughs> Stuart. Mm -hmm. You said you might give one of these films a pity recommend. And that's where I'm standing is like, do I want to give this a pity recommend? Because odds are somebody listening to this, so you wouldn't look up for an Underworld podcast if you hate Underworld. I know we'll have the now playing listeners who are tuning in, and I appreciate everyone who is, but we're three guys who so far have just hated on this series, and so part of me wants to give it a recommend for being almost good enough, even though I don't like it. Right. But I just can't bring myself to do it. <laughs> I just can't. <laughs> you want to respect yourself in the morning, and I get that, because at the end of the day, this going out with your endorsement is wrong. That is not true. It's a weak, weak not recommend. I really almost did. I think it might be the closest I ever come, which is part of why I wanted to do it. But I can't. There's still things that they could fix. Again, if I were laughing, if we were funnier, that's all I really needed. If I just had a little bit more comedy and we're encouraged to laugh at this thing a little bit more, the self-seriousness of it is probably what people love so much, but it's what makes me say, nah, I'm going to keep denying you. Yeah, agreed. But we got two more to fix, but we're going to take a break. That means I'm going to have to remember all this lore during the break. No, they'll tell us to it again. <laughs> as far as I know, the next two movies are a retelling of the retelling. 
Oh, no. <laughs> but in the meantime, this Friday, we finally get to Twilight. I can finally see the phenomenon that people truly do love, and I can try to wrap my head around that one. And then on the main feed, for the next three weeks, we got other stuff to cover. We've already skipped a week on Lightyear. That's been out for a week now. And we should get to this new Pixar movie that imagines Buzz Lightyear's real-life space adventures. Yeah, is this the origin story of the toys? I don't get it. And quite frankly, they're going to have to work to make me care. Because I feel like I love Toy Story because it's about our relationship with toys. And I don't want them to come to life. So I was happy to take the week extra to get to this one. We're going to do that. And then we're going to go to Moon Knight, a Marvel character I know absolutely nothing about, as a lead-in to Thor, Love and Thunder. I'm just excited because Taika Waititi is in Lightyear. He's in Lightyear? Yeah. I don't know. I was excited for Free Guy because of him until I saw it. (laughs) I was, like, iffy on Lightyear. I just hope the movie ends with Andy walking out of the theater and saying, I want a Buzz Lightyear toy. That's what I want. Um, maybe. I feel like they're done with that. I think they're really trying... Could be wrong, but I really feel like they're going to try to give this thing new life by saying it's real. And that takes away everything, everything that I loved about the Toy Story movies. I can't wait till we get the real Potato Head movie then. Exactly. That's what you worry about. Am I going to have to watch a Western with Woody? Mm. (laughs) So thank you for joining us. Hopefully you can join us for Twilight. The details are at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. And you can also get all of the Harry Potter movie reviews if you donate for gold. Add Fantastic Beasts reviews in if you go for silver. You want some more Lord of the Rings? You want Tolkienism? We have a Lord of the Rings level. We have a Tom Cruise Mach 2 level with all of his 80s films and the new Top Gun. And we've got a Jurassic Park level with the new Jurassic Park film getting all six of those reviews. Details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. And Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. My will is done regardless. My journey has now come full circle. Once an outcast... I am now one of three chosen elders, from hunted to the highest honor. But I no longer fear death, for I have known it once already. Thank you for listening to this Now Playing Podcast movie review. We've been silenced, but otherwise unharmed as ordered. We hope you enjoyed the show. You've done exactly as I hoped and planned, if not more. Help us spread the word about this show by leaving a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your podcast store of choice. Why are you helping me? I'm not. I'm helping me. Want more reviews like this one? In the archive section of NowPlayingPodcast.com, you'll find more than 1,000 in-depth movie reviews from our panel of hosts. There is no beginning. There is no end. There is only becoming. On our site, you can hear reviews for every installment in the world's biggest film franchises, including the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Star Wars, Spider-Man, Batman, X-Men, James Bond, Middle-Earth, Jurassic Park, Fast and Furious, and Transformers. Enough to produce an endless supply of... Plus, we have individual movie reviews, such as Avatar, Titanic, E.T., Inception, Big Hero 6, 
Ready Player One, Pulp Fiction, Apocalypse Now, Doctor Strangelove, and hundreds more. Dead or alive, you will give me what I want! And come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com next Tuesday for another all-new movie review podcast. Peace. My delicate peace. The puzzle will fall into place. Support from listeners like you keeps Now Playing Podcast on the air. Yes, I have taken from him, but I have given so much more. You can donate directly by tapping the support button at nowplayingpodcast.com. I can assist you. Well, you already have. And you can join our crowdfunding campaign for early access to new episodes, exclusive reviews, and bonus reviews. Pains me to admit it, but for the first time in my life, I genuinely fear for our future. Need more Now Playing? Subscribe to our In Focus weekly newsletter for exclusive digital download giveaways, celebrity interviews, behind-the-scenes insights, and more. Sign up through the subscribe page on our website and get it delivered to your inbox every Friday. I need you to deliver a message. Grunt if you understand. You can also compare notes with us on Letterboxd. Go to letterboxd.com forward slash now playing to see what our hosts are watching when we're not recording podcasts. And follow Now Playing on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our YouTube channel. The vampires didn't realize you were following a human, did they, Race? No. Want 375 more Now Playing reviews? Get the Now Playing book Underrated Movies We Recommend. Arnie, Stuart, Jacob, and Marjorie reviewed 125 different movies you probably haven't seen. But you should. Find out why in Now Playing's first book of movie reviews. Do you not realize this is a gift I am giving you? The ebook is available now, and the audiobook and print book will be coming soon. Find details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash book. My eyes see beyond the surface of so many things. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Without me, you'd have nothing. You'd be nothing. Associate produced by Jason Latham. There's no room for error with me. Now Playing is edited by Heath, Stephen, Santiago, and Arnie. I kept the secrets, cleaned up the mess. Now Playing credits read by Brock. I contact preventing him from making the change. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the views of Venganza Media Incorporated. Why would I listen to your lies when the journey to the truth is so much sweeter? Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. These rules are in place for good reason and they are the only reason we have survived this long now playing podcast is an exclusive trademark of and may not be used without the express written permission of vinganza media incorporated we are getting reports on what appears to be a mass cleansing now playing is a vinganza media production copyright 2022 and no part of this show may be reproduced repurposed or redistributed without the written permission of vinganza media incorporated all rights reserved. We fought our greatest battle in our darkest hour. 
After centuries of war between vampire and lichen, this may at last be a time of peace.